0: So, so to them, it's weird. It's weird because they have not seen that before, all right? But to, to us, who were born uh, more than 20 years ago, it was not weird. It was, for us, normal. In fact, we have used it before in our time. Anyone who's used rotary phone before? Yes? You know what I mean. But to the younger generation, they don't understand it, the rotary phone. Why am I saying this? Because what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach today is something weird. Weird because we're not used to it. Weird because maybe this is the first time you're going to hear about it. But it's not weird in the time of Joshua, of David, of Moses. In the ancient Near East, it's normal. It's practically normal. It's even, in fact, public knowledge. Today, we're starting a new brand new series called The Fall of a King. Like I said, weird stuff. So today, I want to talk to you about three simple steps on how to fail at your job if you're chosen to be king. Let me say that one more time. Sounds weird. I want to talk to you about three simple steps on how to fail at your job if you are chosen to become king. There's a story of 1 Samuel 28. Now, it starts with a brewing threat from the Philistine army. So, there was two armies. There's a group of a group of guys they're called philistines there's another group of guys they're called israelites The israelites were here were supposed to be the good guys and the philistines were the bad guys and so there was a battle between the israelites and the philistines and the philistines brought their army together and the israelites army are no match for the philistine army now at this point in the history of Israel, the Philistine army has the monopoly of iron, which means they have the monopoly of weapons. In fact, according to scholars, they have the latest weaponry that no nations ever had in their area, in, the, in their region. So they had the fifth generation chariots and horses. They have the guided arrows, <laughs> missiles, guided arrows. They have everything. They got the, the huge swords that they used to make, to make war. The Israelites don't have any of them. So here's the thing. Second second is that the guy who fought Goliath, the guy who won against a giant, was on the Philistine side. And so there were no match. The pound for pound king of the ring, David, was on the Philistine side. Remember last week, David went to the side of the Philistines and then he resided in the town of Ziklag, it's in the territory of the Philistines. And so, right now, if there will be a war between the Philistines and the Israelites, Israel will be no match for the Philistine army. And third is the most important thing the Israelites have no prophet. Why is prophet important in Israel? Because to gain the favor of God, you must have a prophet to offer the sacrifice. And without a prophet to offer the sacrifice, you will not gain the favor from God. Without the favor from God, you will lose the war. So for three reasons, the Israelites are no match for the Philistines. Now, why is it important? Because only the prophets and the priests are able to communicate with God. Without the priests or the prophets, they cannot communicate with God. Here's what happened. Now, now what's interesting is that in the earlier chapters of the story, in here, the book of Samuel, there were no priests, there were no prophets There was no way to communicate to God because there's something that happened in here. Now, the story begins by saying that Samuel died. Who's Samuel? Samuel was the prophet in Israel. He's the one who anointed Saul to become king. He's the one who crowned him king. And now he's dead. There's no one to communicate to God. There's no one to ask him favor. There's no one to make sure that they win the war. That's a big problem. So let's start with verse 6. 1 Samuel 28, verse 6. If you have a Bibles with you, you can follow along or you can follow along uh, with the verses on the screen. It says, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now, this is interesting. When Saul went to see all the Philistine army, the Bible said his heart trembled. That's the message. Another term for saying his blood pressure went off the roof. Okay, his heart trembled. He was terrified at the look of the Philippine army. In verse 6, it says, Saul tried to communicate with God. And the Lord did not answer him. Why so? Why did not the Lord answer him? And it's either by drink or by urim or by prophets. Interesting. What's an urim? An Urim is a tool that the priests use to inquire of the Lord and the answer is yes or no. Now you find it in the Bible. Now we have no time to extrapolate on this one but there's this Urim. Now another problem with that is that back in chapter 22 there's a story that Saul massacred all the 85 priests of the Lord and therefore the Urim was lost. That's the reason why God does not Answer Saul by the Urim because there is no priest who will use the Urim. And the Urim was lost. Secondly, there were no prophets. Again, we said because Samuel just died. There's no way to communicate to God. Now, now here's a question. Why not just pray, pastor? Why don't just Saul just pray to God and ask him for favor? That's true. We can pray. See, here's the thing. It doesn't work that way. Prayer is what we tell God. Prophecy, it's what God tells us what to do. So in the Bible, they can pray. There's no problem about that. But if they want an answer from God, they needed a prophet or a priest to tell them God's answer. They needed a prophecy. And at this point, there are no priests, there are no prophets. But in the ancient world, besides the priests and the prophets, there are people who can tap in the spiritual world. They're called diviners and mediums. Now, I'm sure you've heard about this. These people, diviners and mediums, have the ability to tap into the spiritual world. And when we say the spiritual world, we're not talking about angels. We're talking about evil spirits and demons. Sound weird enough? Evil spirits and demons. There's no passage in the Bible that tells Christian that you can call on angels. We're not commanded or encouraged to talk to angels or pray to angels. Nothing. You will not find that in the Bible because we're not supposed to divine. Divine or divination means tapping into the spiritual world, communicating to the spirit world. In the spirit world, there are only two two sets of guys, the good guys and the bad guys. There are mediums and sorcerers or diviners that can tap into the spiritual world But the spirits they're tapping into are evil spirits and demons. Now, before I proceed to that, the Bible talks about them. The Bible calls divination to be an abomination. What is an abomination? Abomination is something that you should not even think about. Abomination. The reason, one of the reasons why God allowed the inhabitants of Canaan to be destroyed by the people of Israel is because of the practices of divination. Let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. Deuteronomy 18, it says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. I mean, in the ancient world, people offer sacrifices to their gods by burning their sons or daughters. It's an abominable practice. Now, what I can tell you is that in West Africa, it's still happening today, secretly. It also says, there shall not be anyone who practice divination or tell fortunes or interpret omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. That's a necromancer, someone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. I'm going to check in before we proceed. Is there anyone here who matches the one I read? No, okay, just making sure. Okay. Divination is communication to the spirit world. So for all intents and purposes, diviners, mediums, fortune tellers, sorcerers, they all tap into the spiritual world and communicate with the spirits. That means your friendly neighborhood fortune teller is not communicating to God. She's communicating to the spirit world. And by spirit, will we mean demons and evil spirits. Are you still with me? I know this is weird. This is in the Bible. That also means that, that your friendly neighborhood, witch doctor in the Philippines called aka Arbolario, are not talking to God. They're tapping into the spirit world to heal you. Not angels, but demons. See what's interesting here is that when they summon the evil spirit, they summoned the evil spirit with because they asked for power. They needed power. And so, when a witch doctor, a sorcerer, summon a spirit to help them, they're not asking God for help. They're asking evil spirits for help. And so, Flash use your friendly neighborhood sorcerer who fixed your potion, whatever potion that you asked for, did not learn their magic from God. They learned their magic from the spiritual world, from demons and evil spirits. I guarantee you that. And if she is the real thing, I'm not talking about the sorcerers and mediums and necromancers from Las Vegas. They're not real. They're scammers. I'm talking about the real ones. And if these people are real ones, all you have to do is to ask, where do you get your power? And they will tell you they're getting their power from a familiar spirit. What's a familiar spirit? You see, if you have seen Harry Potter, you will notice that all the witch students have... Their own pets, either dogs, cats, snakes, toads, owls, correct? They're called familiar spirits. They're helper demons to the witch. I don't want to scare you, but this sounds scary to me too. So, what's a necromancer? A necromancer is the one who communicates to the dead. Not spirits, not evil spirits, but to the dead. And by the dead, we mean those people who were once alive, but is now. Dead, D-E-D, dead. That's a joke, D-E-D, dead. (laughs) You're too serious, okay? All right, necromancer is the one who communicates to the dead. Now, in case you're wondering, does this work? Is this true? I would say yes, because the Bible will not prohibit something that you cannot do. The Bible will not prohibit something that's not doable, That means they have been practicing this even in the Old Testament. And that's why God calls them abominable. That's the whole point of the warning. See, tapping into the spiritual world is tapping into the secret knowledge. Now, there's a portion in the Bible, especially in Deuteronomy, that talks about the secret knowledge. It says, the secret knowledge belongs to the Lord only. We're not supposed to tap into that secret knowledge. What's that? It's about the secret of the spiritual world. What the Bible tells us, we have to be contented. That's for us. That's a knowledge that's given to us. But we're not allowed to tap into that spiritual world. So Saul decided, because he have no priests, no prophets, Saul decided to consult a necromancer. Can you believe that? This king, anointed by God, consulted a medium. That's in verse 8. Let me read to you verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me, by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name you. Okay, just for the record, anyone has consulted a medium before? Went to a palm reader, a crystal ball reader, or whatever reader? Okay, this is serious stuff, okay? Saul went to a diviner and asked to consult and bring up someone from the dead. I want you to focus on the following conversation because this is important. You'll find it in verse 13. Let me continue. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. And he said, what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. I mean, what? Oh, a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And he said, An old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. I mean, this is not your average Hollywood movie. You'll just think maybe you'll find this in Hollywood movies, but this is in the Bible. Saul actually consulted the medium and the spirit of the dead Samuel came up. Why is it called gods? I see a God coming out of the ground. Because in the spiritual world, in the ancient Near East, an Elohim, which is uh, the Hebrew word for God, doesn't mean he became a God. It just means he lived in the spiritual world. So Samuel, or the spirit of the dead Samuel, or the ghost of the dead Samuel, belongs to the spiritual world, and therefore he's called a God. And so the woman said, I saw a God coming up wrapped in a robe. Now according to ritual of necromancy, you can find this in the internet, by the way. In the ancient world, what they do, the necromancer will dig up a hole in the ground and will do the ritual and will summon the spirit by incantations. Some say that they will have to, to sacrifice a gift or a and will pour in the grave. And from the grave, the spirit of the dead will rise from the ground. Now, this is consistent with what the Bible says because the Bible, when the Bible talks about the underworld, the Bible calls this Sheol. Sheol is the underworld. The spirit of the dead goes down to the ground. That's why we lay them to the ground. Here's what it says chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and ra- Can I have another? All right, this, hopefully this sounds better. All right. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. When dead dies, sorry, when the living dies, the spirit goes to the ground. So the necromancer raises up the spirit of Samuel. This is the reason why I don't believe that ghosts inhabit haunted houses, old hotels, and abandoned buildings. They don't inhabit places like that. They inhabit the ground. They're coming from there. What you see in haunted houses are not ghosts. They're evil spirits. If say you encounter one, do not engage or you will find yourself in big trouble. Anyone seen an evil spirit before? That's going to be scary. The YouTube is full of them. But are they true? Definitely. The woman summoned not a demonic spirit, but the, the ghost of Samuel. Some some thought that what the witch summoned was an impersonating evil spirit of Samuel. What's not true. What, he, what she actually summoned was the spirit of Samuel because Saul recognized him. He was wearing a robe. This robe was, was very legendary because back in the earlier story of 1 Samuel, there was a time in chapter 15 that, Samuel rejected Saul. And when he was going away, Saul grabbed his robe and it tore. So he knew the robe. He knew what Samuel looked like. And so the ghost of Samuel came up. What's interesting here is this idea is very similar to what happened to Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when Moses and Elijah showed up with Jesus and the disciples said, let's build tents for them? I mean, they came from the dead also. The only difference is that when Moses and Elijah showed up with Jesus, they were happy. They were happy to see Jesus. When Samuel showed up, he was not happy. The first thing he said was, why did you disturb me? Verse 16, and Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? I mean, if there's any, any other term that would define somebody... The worst would be the enemy of God. I mean, the devil would be, for one, the first come to mind, would be the enemy of God. Not a friend of God, enemy of God. Saul, at this point, has become the enemy of God. Can you imagine the anguish of being away, being cut off from the presence of God because you have become an enemy of God? That's what Samuel was saying. Verse 70 says, The Lord has done to you as spoke by me, For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Now, this is very clear. Because before, it was not very clear who will replace Saul. He just have a premonition, it was David. Now it's clear, Samuel is saying it's David. Because, here's the reason why, you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Now, in case you're wondering, what is Samuel talking about? What's this Amalek thing, business, talking about? See, back in chapter 15, God commanded Saul to destroy a certain group of people called the Amalek or the Amalekites. And Saul did. But the thing is, when he came back from the battle, he, he did not kill the king of the Amalek. It was a trophy for him. He did not also kill the best of the sheep, the goats, and the oxen. What for? There are bribes. Now, I'd like to think about this very carefully. Because what Saul did was a direct disobedience from God. And I told you before, at the very start, I'm going to tell you three steps on how to fail if you are chosen to become king. These are the reasons why Saul failed in his job as king. And I think Saul might have taken this lightly, which we cannot afford to, so we have to pay close attention to this. So Saul failed not because he was lazy or he was a people pleaser or for anything else. Saul failed because of presumption. What is presumption all about? Here's what Samuel Saul, sorry, what Samuel said in chapter 15 verses 22 to 23. So after Saul came back, he spared the king of Amalek. He spared also some of the sheep the goats and the oxen, this is what the prophet said when he was still alive. First Samuel 15. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. We're talking about divination, correct? And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, like I promised, three steps on how to fail as your job if you're chosen as king. I'd like us to focus on three words here, which is very important. Rebellion, divination, and idolatry. What Samuel said here in chapter 15 is a summary of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Anyone read Genesis 1 through 11? The first book in the Bible it's called Genesis. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are stories about rebellion. Now you may not be aware of this, but if you pay close attention to this, and you're reading this, all you think is that when you're reading Genesis 1 and 2, you know God created the world, God created the heavens and the earth, he created the moon and the stars and all those beautiful things. But at the start of Genesis chapter 3, all the way to Genesis chapter 11, it was worse. There was a flood. There was annihilation of people. God was mad at people. So what happened actually was in Genesis chapter 3, where you will find the Garden of Eden. What's in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve. What else in the Garden of Eden? The serpent. You know, there's a hint where we probably missed, but there's divination in Genesis chapter 3. Who was Adam and Eve talking to? It's a spirit in the form of a serpent. Isn't what we call divination? So this spirit, in the form of a serpent, told Adam and Eve that if you eat this kind of fruit, you will become like God. It's a secret knowledge. It's divination. And so they did. They bit of the fruit and they sinned. The reason why God kicked them out of the garden was because they became abominable to God. Divination and rebellion. What about Genesis chapter 6? Genesis chapter 6 is a very obscure passage that tells us that the sons of God, the heavenly beings, intermarried with the daughters of men, and they produced giants or Nephilim. Very interesting. Because the moment that the Israelites were about to enter the promised land in Numbers chapter 13, they sent spies, and the spies came back, and they said there were giants in the land, full of giants. We cannot attack them, or else we will lose this is also the reason why, when Joshua conquered the land, he killed many giants. In fact, even David killed one of those. His name is Goliath. Did you know that Goliath had brothers? First Chronicles chapter 20, you'll find that Goliath has three brothers. One of the brothers of Goliath has six fingers in both hands. Amazing. You'll find that. First Chronicles chapter 20, verses four to eight. Now stay with me, because this is very important. Genesis chapter 3 only Adam and Eve rebelled against God. But in Genesis chapter 6 it was a rebellion in the grand scale. The sons of God rebelled by coming down taking the form of human beings and intermarrying human daughters. And also the human daughters mankind rebelled in the grand scale. Where am I getting this? So there's this book in the Bible if you're not aware It's in the second last of the book at the very end. So, the last book is Revelation. Before Revelation, there's Jude. Anyone heard about Jude? He's he's one of the brothers of Jesus. He wrote a book, the shortest of the book, because there's only one chapter. Okay? Jude wrote something about the rebellion that happened in Genesis chapter 6. Listen to this Jude chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. He said, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, how did it happen? Jesus were not in Egypt, but it's a different story, okay? Who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe? And watch this. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. When did that happen? It happened in Genesis 6 when with these sons of God, with these heavenly beings, came down to earth and intermarried with the daughters of men. What Jude was talking about was Genesis 6. Where did he get this story? What in the world is this? He got this story from a much older book. It's called the Book of Enoch. Anyone heard about the Book of Enoch? All right, it's there. It's in the Sudipigrapha. The Book of Enoch tells us that these sons of God, when they came down to earth, they intermarried with women, and they taught these women divination, sorcery, witchcraft, and magic. This is the reason why the Bible calls this abominable. This is the reason why right after Genesis 6, chapter 7, there was a flood. God decided to destroy the earth because rebellion multiplied, the abominable practices multiplied, evil multiplied in the grand scale. That's why there was a flood. Are you still with me? Is this interesting? Now, it did not stop there. Because in Genesis 11, there was another story. The story of the tower. Now, we're not talking about the, the tower of pizza, okay? This is different. It's called Ziggurat. Let me show you the picture. The Ziggurat is the tower that was built in Mesopotamia. All right, this, this looks like a pyramid because it looks like a pyramid. On top of the Ziggurat, Is a a small city. The idea is that the design of the pyramid or this ziggurat is for God to reside on the top of the the pyramid. This was their attempt to rebuild the Garden of Eden because we know in Genesis chapter 3, mankind was cast out of the Garden of Eden. So they want to bring back the Garden of Eden. They want to bring back God from heaven to earth. So the ziggurat is the meeting point of heaven and earth. It's the, it's the focal point of, of heaven and earth. God wants, they want God to come down, to reside with men again. But the problem is that the sinister goal was to create actually a portal or a gateway so that God will come down and in case there was another flood, they can come up to the top of the ziggurat and go to heaven directly to God. That was the goal of the ziggurat. Now, why do you think they built it in the middle of the desert? Because of the flood. They know that flood can come anytime. So they were afraid of it, and they were trying to figure out how to escape the flood. So that's why in Genesis 11, God came down and scattered the nations by assigning them to the different sons of God. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8. If this is your first time to be hearing this, this sounds weird, but again, in the ancient world, this is normal. This is Actually, public knowledge. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 11 were assigned to rule the nations. So right now we have different nations, all members of the United Nations. But these nations were assigned different rulers or gods. See, the presidents and the ministers or the dictators were not really ruling these nations. There are spiritual forces who are ruling different nations today. And the Bible confirms that in Genesis chapter 11. Now, I want you to check this out. Because these rulers, the sons of God, the spiritual heavenly beings, became the gods and the idols of these nations. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 17. Moses was telling the people of Israel, Israel they say, he said, They sacrificed the demons that were no gods, Elohim, to gods they have never known, to new gods, They have come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. What is Moses saying to the Israelites? The Israelites are going to the promised land, and they will encounter different nations who have other gods. And if they don't destroy these people, the Israelites will come to love the other gods, and they will worship other gods. One of the reasons why the first three commandments in the Ten Commandments talks about other gods not making idols. Not worshipping other gods. Because you see, gods aren't real. They're demons and spirits. So that means Genesis chapter 3, if you're still awake. Genesis chapter 3 to 11 are stories of rebellion. What Saul did in chapter 15 by sparing the Amalek king was a sample of these stories. He committed three simple mistakes. Rebellion. Divination. And idolatry. Now, what happened here? See, Saul may be king, but he doesn't have the authority to spare the Amalek king. He may be king, but he's not in charge. God is. And so what, what did he do? He tried, he tried to change the rules. And what did he do? He spared some sheep, oxen, and donkeys, and, uh, and goats, rather. What, what, what are they for? Therefore, offerings. What are offerings for? It's called divination. So what Saul actually intended was, because he knew that he was guilty, spared the Amalek king, he wants to bribe God of animal sacrifices. It's called divination. Why is it called divination? Because he's not allowed to offer sacrifices. In the Old Testament, only priests and prophets are allowed to offer sacrifices. If you are not a priest or a prophet, and if you offer that God, it's called divination. It's a sin. And Saul actually did that in chapter 13. There was a war, and Samuel said, wait for me. I will offer the divination to God. I will offer the sacrifices. But Samuel did not come on time. And Saul was agitated, so he offered the sacrifice. And Samuel came at the nick, in the nick of time and he said, why did you do this? Because of this, the Lord has rejected you. What do we call it? It's called divination. So three things. Rebellion divination, and idolatry. This is playing with fire. Saul was not authorized to offer that sacrifice. Did you know that, that when you consult mediums and sorcerers, you are also participating in their rituals? And when you participate in their rituals, their rituals yeah. consist of worshiping demons. So that means when Saul consulted the necromancer, he... Participated in the worship of demons. So he committed three mistakes. Rebellion, divination, idolatry. Everything is coming together. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. What does God say about this? Leviticus 26, it says, If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Now, this tells you how God is really serious about this. He's not just talking about to Israelites, he's talking also to us. Because this applies to us right now, in here. He said, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. What does the Bible say about God? God is a holy God. We're not allowed to tap into the spiritual world because this is abominable to God. You see. Saul found three ways to fail at his job. Rebellion, divination, and idolatry. But did you know that you can also commit the mistakes of Saul by committing these same things? And it all starts with presumption. It starts with presumption that you are in charge. Presumption that you are in charge of your life, of your time, of your resources, of your skills. Listen, the reason why the Ten Commandments starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, It means to establish the fact that our life was bought with and paid for by God. It's called redemption. The reason why God demands us to follow his commandments, because he did something for us first. There's a reason why God commands the Sabbath. It's to remind us that we are living on borrowed time. There's a reason why God commands us not to covet. It's to remind us that it's not about owning or having or earning. Life is more than that. There's a reason why the commandments all starts with either you shall or you shall not. It tells you that we are not in charge, that we live in God's rules. We live in the bounds of God. God is in charge, not us. So if we start assuming that we are in charge, we are in for that failure of Saul. And the moment we start assuming we are in charge, we start changing the rules. You see, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They were within God's rules. And they thought, maybe God is not telling us something. Maybe the serpent is telling us something because God is keeping the best of the goods for us. So maybe we should eat this fruit and maybe we have to determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That's what they did. They want to live beyond the rules of God. And so they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You see, our society today is doing just that. So it's really not about social justice or equality. It's, it's not about finding your star or living your identity. Our society today is trying its best to redefine the truth, to redefine the rules, to redefine boundaries, so that everything must conform to our preferences. What do you like? See, here in America, it's so easy and it's sometimes confusing. I, I don't like going to restaurants because there's too many choices. We go to a restaurant, you're just offered hamburger, and you know you will be asked how do you want it and second what's the what's the thing that you put in the the burger and so many questions see our generation this society is used to preferences and that's what we're trying to do now we're trying to change the rules that suits our preferences the bible calls this rebellion Nothing more. See, what's funny is that the enemy is very patient. See, the enemy waited patiently until Jesus, after 40 days and 40 nights, until Jesus was exhausted and hungry, starving. That's when he began his onslaught of temptations. What is he doing right now to us? The enemy will not attack you when you are strong. The enemy will attack you when you are in your weakest, when you are alone. Temptations come, not when you're strong and happy. Temptations come when you are weak and alone. You see, the snake in the garden did not appear scary to Eve. It talked to Eve. It was innocent. It was soft-spoken. It was convincing. Did you know that you can become God? Did you know that you can make this much money? Did you know that if you do this, you're just fine? Nothing's going to happen to you? Did you know? See, the enemy starts with, did you know? He's he's not going to tell you the truth. He's going to deceive you because that's his job. And it keeps you fixated on the colorful things, the things that don't really matter, the things that you don't need. See, people today are so enamored and fixated by so many colorful things, new things. Ah, Black Friday, new things. Right? Amazon Day prime day i mean this is i mean if we if we really keep our our focus on the things that matter we will not be fixated on these things see the enemy gives excuses to us the enemy gives excuses for us not to pray not to go to church not to fellowship with other believers not even to read our bible because it wants to keep us in the dark it doesn't want you to know the truth then it becomes a normal. And then one day you will find yourself, like Saul, disconnected, unchurched, and unable to reach God. You know how, how these things work? See, some people, when they presume they go to the next level, they try to change rules. And how do they change rules? They try to change rules by accommodating their preferences. And what do they do? They go to another church. They go to a bigger church. Because, see, you see, in the bigger church, nobody knows you, especially here in America. I mean, you're from somewhere and then you will just be plugged in. In bigger church, 70% are guests. I mean, you see, in bigger churches, you are nobody. Nobody checks your lifestyle. Nobody says you're wrong if you're wrong. Sadly, people love it. People love it because they love entertainment. I mean, who would not be impressed with big lights and sounds, right? People love it because they're not... Corrected. People love it because they remain anonymous. And why do people love it? Because going to church in big churches is nothing but consumerism. People there are not worshiping. They're consumers. I'm saying that all the people there are consumers. I'm just saying there's a tendency that if you go there just to be there and you hop on different churches and different big churches, you're just consuming things. You're not really there for... Worship and fellowship. You're not, you're not establishing relationships. You're consuming. You know, others just stop going to church at all. They quietly tell themselves that watching the worship online is the same as going to church. No, it's not. Online is not the same as worship here in person. That's the reason why most of the images in the Bible are always in the context of Community. We have to do it in community. You know, the Lord's Supper didn't happen online because, of course, there was no internet there then, back then. But it happened in person because that's the idea of communal communion. It's coming together. Worship is about coming together. But some people would think, yeah, just on my jammies, just turn on the television and watch worship. I worship God. That's my due, that's my obligation. No, it's not. See, worship is done in community. The proper context of growing in faith is community. The sacrifice of Jesus was not for an individual, but for the church, the community. See, the reason why Saul failed at his job was because he didn't want to live within God's community. He wanted to live outside the rules of God. He chose to seek a different community. So it goes on without saying that if you want to avoid the failures of Saul, there's only one step that you can make today, and it's available today. You have to surrender to God. There's no other way but to surrender to God. Acknowledge that there's only one legitimate king. You are not in charge. God is. There's only one who is in charge that the Bible talks to again and again. His name is Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you today. If God is talking to you in a personal way, I'd like to pray for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Saul. Even though he's a bad example of someone who failed his job, but we know we can learn from his mistakes. Father, I pray for anyone who's sitting here listening to this preaching. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us of our, of our sin. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be the one to inspire us and encourage us. If we have consulted any any medium or sorcerer or witch in the past, Father, would you forgive us? Now that we know that it's an abominable practice, Father, I pray that you will cleanse us, make us presentable to you. Cleanse us so we are presentable as we worship you. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit come. I pray that you will cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse, those, cleanse even the, the nooks and cranny of our being. We ask for your blood blood that totally cleanses the to sin. If you feel that God is calling you today, if you feel that God is telling you to surrender your life, this is your chance. I'm gonna pray silently. Follow me as a pray. But pray this within your heart. Pray this as this if you are as if you're praying. You say, Father, I want to come back to you. Me from it. I acknowledge that I am not in charge, that you, Jesus, are in charge. And so today I surrender my life to you. Give me a new life. In Jesus' name we pray.